0: Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, I'm just going to say it. I think Georgia was the best team in college football in 2022.
1: A bold take, Connor. People are going to come after you. They're going to try to cancel you. But, you know, I'm glad you're taking a stand. You know, sometimes
0: you just have to decide based on the results that happen on the field whether or not a team is worthy of that very elite distinction because um, no, th- that game last night. We're recording this on Tuesday morning, sixty-five to seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel bad for for saying that that I thought TCU was going to keep this somewhat close because boy was it not, and it was a beatdown that, uh, quite frankly, I, I I don't think I've seen a beatdown like that in a championship game in a very long time, if ever. And that mm-hmm. was uh, that game was over. I want to say late first quarter just to give credit to TCU because Mm -hmm. the way that they came back this year and you're thinking, all right, after they get the 60 yard completion, but no, no, this, this game was, was over very, very early. And um, Georgia is a national champion. We did not get the collapse in the title game, like three different teams during the playoff era who have been trying to repeat have done instead, Mm -hmm. Georgia just, wins a game that uh, was about as lopsided as one could have ever imagined in their wildest dreams.
1: Yeah, my friends are all sickos, and after that game ended, they were just like, what was the worst blowout in national championship history and kind of went through it and was like, well, technically, you know, the BAM Notre Dame game was o- over earlier. And I said, listen, when you see 65-7, to 7, all you do is laugh. You don't try to compare it to anything. Nope. You know, you, there's no, oh, what about, no, no. Um, that's just funny. That's all it is. If you're, I hate to say a hater because I'm a lover in this moment. If you're a troll like me, that type of score is something that's amazing because it's it's finite. It you know what it is. Um, and to your point, let me ask you a question. Officially, when do you think this game ended?
0: Baller answered that question on the broadcast, and he said middle of second quarter. I, like I, I late first quarter, just because you're giving respect to TCU and all the ways right. that they've have, they've have, they have come back. middle of the second quarter, it was seventeen to seven. The problem and why it felt like it was over and why so many people were saying, oh, this is this is about to get real ugly." TCU's mm-hmm. defense just had no response uh, at all. I mean, yeah, they, when
1: those boys looked like they had cinder blocks on their feet when Stetson was cruising and looked like Michael Vick, I was like, "It's about to be a long day for these
0: boys." This, <laughs> there, there were no adjustments to be made. Holding Georgia to a field goal was the highlight of TCU's defensive day, and that from there, there were there were no other highlights to be had. It, some could say this was over the second that Kirby. Stepped onto the field, looked into Holly Rowe's eyes, and asked the question, like, What's what's the game plan for today? And he's just like, aggression. And then just left it there. And she's like, even she who Holly Rowe has seen everything. Even she was kind of taken aback by how locked in Kirby was. And oh, I may or may not have, but definitely did get access to Kirby's pregame speech through a friend of a friend. Mm-hmm. And and let's just say the lads were ready to go. <laughs>
1: I Yeah, that's my favorite thing about the Georgia thing, unquestionably, is the leaked pregame speeches. I wish I could have set this guy as my alarm. Like, everything he says, because it's not like some Tony Robbins esoteric. It's like, no, no, no. The other team is going to die. We're going to bathe in their blood. And I'm like, let's go, Kirby. (laughs) Every time he talks, I'm like, okay. Yes, I made it a fight for you, brother. This is 300. Let's do it. (laughs) They were, uh, yes. They were ready to go, and they
0: left absolutely no doubt whatsoever. So we have uh, a ton of things that we're going to get into for this game. We're also going to do my way too early top 10. Yes, it is ranking season. My guy, I got to talk to my guy Brad Crawford about this cuz he's coming out with this like multiple days before it used to be this drops the second the national championship ends. And I remember Mm -hmm. ESPN would do that back in the day. Mark Slabaugh does that that every single year, but now Brad is doing it the full weekend before I can't, I I can't stand for that. And I know he gets all the traffic for it. Brad knows traffic Mm -hmm. like nobody does in this business, but my goodness gracious, um, it's dropping earlier than ever. So we got to keep up with the Joneses. We will have a way too early top 10 at the end of this show. Before we get to everything, well, um, this morning we're recording. It's a it's a rare midweek morning pod for us. This is the only time that we do a midweek morning pod. But mm-hmm. the best way to get prepped, we're just talking about Kirby's pregame speech and how he had the lads ready to go. You know what I need to be ready to go to be able to podcast on a a fine morning after watching football. That well, uh, let's be honest, it didn't go that late. We've had much later nights. But you know what I need to be able to get ready is Texas Pete, of course. Of course. It's the same thing every time I need to be able to have my eggs. And that makes me feel right when I don't. I'm just not quite myself. And we're locked and loaded for this pod today. Texas Pete has a spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or the new traditional barbecue sauce, run, don't walk, grab yourself a bottle today. Visit Texas for recipes and hot apparel. Plus, take 20 percent off your entire order with promo code Saturday down south. All caps, all one word Saturday down south. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. Well, I'd love to be able to sit here and pretend like a game wrap is necessary, but that wasn't a game. It it just wasn't a game. Largest bowl win ever. Ever. I, <laughs> I mean, the how lopsided that game became was just something that's, that's really hard to quantify. It, it is. The only time that you thought maybe TCU could make this kind of competitive and have and i for the record after that start i still thought georgia was going to win it convincingly but i was still telling myself TCU is going to make plays mm-hmm. the the dairy yeah i feel it yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to. And you see everybody in the, like five minutes in saying, oh, this one is over. And usually that never is right. But in this case, it was. But like, yeah, like I said, I mean, the 60 yard catch from Darius Davis was the only kind of moment. And that was a miscommunication by Georgia secondary, where that was the only time in which TCU had any sort of life. If you mm-hmm. take away the yards from that play, what do they have like 130 total yards outside of that? I mean, It was so lopsided and that game was so laughable that Nick Saban was laughing in the half game in the halftime interview where you're just like, oh, oh, this this is there's no way, 38 to seven. Saban isn't even dialed in anymore. This is over. Forget about it. They didn't even try and sell us on a competitive game at halftime. It was David Pollock saying, play for pride, just play for pride at halftime of a national championship game. Will, we saw a quarterback get a curtain call with 1325 left in the fourth quarter.
1: And not just An any quarterback, ch- Connor. The haters and losers, of which there are many, are very mad today because Stetson <laughs> dominated that game. That was that's the funny, the funniest thing, bro. Just big game Stetson, man. It's it's a thing. And like, yeah, to your point, him sitting there, like getting or him getting the curtain call, uh, Kirby taking the break for the light show in the fourth quarter, him sitting on the on the bench with the oxygen mask in before halftime because he was Did so he tired from busting these it? dudes. I don't this know. One, he was busting these dudes. He must have gotten four miles of cardio and running up and down that field before right. halftime, dog. If you're a fan, this is like what you imagine the DVD looking like. That's okay. So I'm. I, I, we're going to get to the
0: Stetson part in, in a second mm-hmm. here. But that that to me showed why I think Todd Munkin is the most important assistant hire in college football since Lane at Bama in 2014. And, and mm-hmm. maybe even... There might even be a case to be made that, that Munkin is more important than Lane and what Lane did to revolutionize the Alabama offense. That's that's debatable. We can get into that. But he's at least the most important hire since then. He mm-hmm. just led the best Georgia offense ever. And and, mm-hmm. and if you tell me it's the 2014 squad, just because you're looking at the raw numbers, tell me about those 56 non-offensive points that that team had that year, and then actually look at those numbers and then look at the numbers against AP Top 25 competition. Get back to me. It's this year's group. It's not even close. This year's group, we've talked about this so much. They reminded you that they can beat you in every single way. It's (laughs) time they
1: did in person live. I saw this team take a a team and swing or take a game and swing it 10 points off a a field goal attempt by my team. I was sitting there, I was like, Well, this team's gonna beat them. Well, if
0: they had just decided. If Munkin's just like I'm bored, let's do something fun here. Let's have a drive in which we only run reverses for for Lad McConkey and Brock
1: Bowers. Do you think they could have scored a touchdown? Because I do. Oh yes, certainly they might have won doing just, just simply that—just run left, run right against D.C.U. <sighs> it was
0: oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, the talent part of that that talent plus scheme equation is just watching Brock Bowers do Brock Bowers things, right? Still, we have not confirmed if he is a human being. We're waiting to figure that out. The ball over the middle that Stetson just rifled in there. I think it was, what, third and 15 on that play or something like that. That play was absurd. His ability to win the one-on-one matchups, it's its just second to none. If you think that Michael Mayer was the best tight end in college football, Notre Dame fans, um, you, you're just telling on yourself that, that you haven't watched Brock Bowers play consistently because he was on one. It's still crazy to think what a sophomore tight end is capable of doing on that stage. and We've seen this so many times now. He is insane. He's going to be worthy. If he were eligible to be drafted this year, I, I I legitimately think he'd be like a top seven pick. And that's saying mm-hmm. something because we know the way that tight ends are typically drafted and Kyle Pitts thing and, and all of that.
1: But not to he derail was, you, he's got to be the goat SEC tight end. I mean, if he just cruises through year three, he's already won two titles. He's yeah. already been. I mean, I don't even think did he, he didn't even win the Mackey. He doesn't have a Mackey, which is the most. No, he won thing. the Mackey.
0: He won the Mackey this year.
1: This I year. Okay. Yeah. And then Notre, I was Dame mad fans, about last year.
0: Notre Dame fans were upset that Michael Mayer didn't win it. Right. And we're like, oh my God, how could you give it to Brock Bowers when he he doesn't have the numbers, he doesn't have this, he doesn't have that. And I'm like, mm, tell, t- tell me what he does in all facets of the game. Tell me what he does as a blocker as well, which right. is kind of like the, you know, say what you want about Kyle Pitts. But that was the thing that had to progress later in his game. Kyle Pitts had, had the one year, whereas mm-hmm. yeah, I shouldn't I shouldn't definitively say that. Pitts was pretty good as a sophomore, but it was the one year where he was really on that level where it was like, you're an All-American and Brock Bowers has had two years of college football, and he's had two years being an All-American at the tight end position. And I'm so glad. I am so glad because at this time last year, the thing that I said about him was, I hope he doesn't have a Derek Stingley-like career. Mm-hmm. And I mean that because it's in saying Derek Stingley was unbelievable as a true freshman and then the last two years of his college career were just kind of a bummer and you knew that he mm-hmm. was going to be able to go to the NFL make a lot of money still be a top draft pick but I was hoping that we were still going to see great moments from Brock Bowers after his true freshman season and boy did we ever because he was unguardable there was mm-hmm. y- you couldn't have put a soul on that TCU roster it, it, anybody on that TCU roster in the, la- in the 21st century Nobody would have been able to guard him, and you know, say what you want about like their defensive backs. We talked about Hodges Tomlinson, nephew of a certain LT, the other Mm -hmm. LT, Ladanian Tomlinson, not Lawrence Taylor. Um, But even he wouldn't wasn't capable of sticking on him. And this was just such a lopsided matchup. Brock Bowers was a cheat code, and then when Lad McConkey is out here dominating one on zero matchups, you knew it was over.
1: You 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 know, honestly, he might just get to the NFL and be done. I was watching it, I was like. Have we considered Lad McConkey? But Lad McConkey is actually good because there were like passes he was hauling, and I was like, "Now hold on, <laughs> that one they almost fielded in on the sideline." I was like, "Uh, who is this cat?" Like these dudes all got an MJ secret stuff with that uh, with that pregame speech. Man, it was like they were the as scary as they are. It's like they were the super saiyan versions of themselves today or yesterday. Yeah.
0: They really were, and uh, it it was it was insane to watch. I mean, this was the, the culmination of everything we've talked about with this Georgia offense. It, it really was. I mean, even the little the, the the play on the first drive where they're doing the little mis, misdirection screen pass to Bowers, Munken mm-hmm. was in his bag. Munkin was. Perfect. I mean, say what you want about the the Ohio State game. There was some frustration with some of his play calls, the lack of involvement for Bowers, and then getting him so much more involved in this game. You're just reminded, like this is this isn't even fair. The second Stetson touchdown run, he had two lead blockers who had nobody to block. Yeah. (laughs) Goodness gracious! Like he wasn't even touched on those two touchdown runs. I'm not trying to take away from Stetson. Like I said, we're going to get Miss Flowers in the second year, but TC was just so unbelievably overmatched defensively, and I. I regret saying that Georgia would only score 41 points, but not as much as I regret saying that TCU would score 35 points because yeah, that was that was that was never happening. It turns out Kirby and Georgia was they were very ready for the 335 and it had yeah, no chance. Yeah. They
1: they were 335 disrespecters. And like to your point man, it's like, you know, we are in kind of the um the fray of like audience, you know, like we talk to SEC people all day and and the biggest struggle is to not believe what you hear and be like, wow, you know, the SEC is so dominant, they wreck everybody. Da-da-da. You know, we saw a year this year where the Big 10 got two teams in. And the final result was the SEC team crushing a Big 12 team 65-7. to That is like a fanfic by me. I hate to say it, but it's like the fact that the Big 10 went 0-2, Big 12 team advanced, and then the SEC team crushed them. It's like there's fine bomb callers right now preparing their speeches for today about like, y'all thought the SEC was dead. Like, even in my wildest dreams, I didn't expect this badly of a beatdown. Who took more L's
0: on Monday night, TCU or Michigan? (laughs) Um, uh, that was because Ohio State. You can at least say, like, if you're an Ohio State fan, you're like, oh yeah, it's actually that probably helped their case for for who they were this year. The fact that they played that Georgia team that competitively and they were a field goal away from winning that football game. And mm-hmm. if you ask Buckeye fans, they were a Marvin Harrison injury away from definitely, mm-hmm. without a doubt, winning that football game. Um, listen, but, they can just claim that natty the way they claim Joe Burrow. All right, smart. I mean. Got to get the dubs where you can take them. And mm-hmm. Lord knows there were not a whole lot of dubs to hand out uh, You know, if you weren't in red and black on Monday night. But yeah, tough tough look for for Michigan to lose to a TCU team that just did not belong on the same field as Georgia. Mm-hmm. Did not. And that's not to say that TCU didn't deserve to be there. They deserved to be there. There's no doubt about it. And what Sonny Dykes did is incredible. And it's still an outlier for what we've seen in the college football playoff era. But there's a reason why teams that lack that elite talent don't win a 15 game. Remember, the 15 games mm-hmm. that you're playing in this era of college football. There's a reason why teams like that don't win a national championship and they still won't when the playoff expands. Like, I hate to say they might be able to get to a national championship, but TCU showed you that, hey, this is at least possible. And we talked about that with Josh Payton, like, okay, this this can still be a breakthrough moment for a lot of these programs to get to a higher level because TCU still got to a higher level. Right. Like, let's not lose sight of that. It's not like TCU just got to the semifinal and got shellacked or something like that. They Mm -hmm. still showed that they can do stuff that they they can do things that we haven't seen from teams in their position in the college football playoff era. But the champs are still the champs. Yeah. And it's still so hard to break through. It's still just so freaking hard.
1: Yeah. I hate to say this, but like in a way I feel kind of vindicated. Cause remember we talked about this going all the way back. And I was like, I just don't like DC as a college football playoff team. And that just goes to show that this sport is all about matchups because Because you get a team like Michigan that makes mistakes, and they play TCU, and they're on the same level. You know what I'm saying? And if Michigan plays mistake-free football, they probably win that game. But of course, they throw two pick sixes. Then you get a team like Georgia that simply not only doesn't make mistakes, but plays aggressive while not making mistakes, which is so hard to coach. Because you even see it with Alabama this year, getting a couple of these late hits, like getting a couple of false starts, which like I'm ready to go, coach. These guys, like when you when your whole game plan, when your whole mo is wait on the other team to mess up and then strike the way that TCU's was, they were just sitting on their hands all night.
0: Yeah, they were they. They absolutely were. There was just nothing that they could really do. Um, let's talk about the Stetson part of this. Yeah, six touchdowns, tied Joe Burrow's record for most touchdowns responsible uh, in a for in a bowl game. He's not Joe Burrow. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But Stetson is an all-time great college quarterback. And oh yes, if you argue against that at this point, you're just you're yelling into a void. That's that's all you're doing. Last two seasons, he played in eleven games against teams who are ranked in the AP poll at the time of the matchup, 28-3 to 9 ratio, 10 yards per attempt, eight games with multiple touchdowns and no interceptions. He is not a game manager. Mm-hmm. I would take him over Matt Leinart, and I would take him over AJ McCarron because those are the other two quarterbacks in the 21st century to repeat. And that's why I brought mm-hmm. those guys up because they're kind of going to be remembered in the same sort of category, right? Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately, people will probably same same exact breath. Stetson over the course of history will be in the same breath as those two guys. But I would take him ahead of him because I think what he has done on this stage to continuously ball out in these big time moments, man, like what what more can you can you want from a quarterback in this spot, but to play, what Kirby called the best game of Stetson's career in this national championship, where he was just so dialed in. And it's kind of hard Mm -hmm. to disagree with that, you know, given the stakes, given the fact that this was supposed to be a solid TCU pass defense, or at least not one that you could expect to have big windows on the outside, but his decision-making it's just gotten better and better and better. And that's why the number that I think is ridiculous, like about, you know, the quarterback rating Seven games this year, he played against teams that are currently, and I say this before the final AP poll came out, currently in the AP Top 25, right? Seven games Mm -hmm. in quarterback rating of 180 or better in six of them. (laughs) I mean, and the one that he didn't was Mississippi State where he had the two picks and I'd argue he was still really good for the majority of that game. But let's like, Mm -hmm. man, I... If you're still not there with with Stetson, I just don't know what you want because the guy was the
1: offensive MVP in four playoff games. This is like it's actually great. Yeah. This is like the, the greatest like how do you like me now game of all time? Because it's like whatever so little games. small moniken modicum of like disrespect anyone had for him you got to give him his flowers doesn't matter if you're a florida fan doesn't matter if you're a tech fan or whatever you may be it's like yeah this guy was the moment for the time starting him was correct like you you talked about it like numbers don't lie it's like he's not as good as joe burrow i'm obviously not saying that but in this moment his goal was to score touchdowns he scored six of them four through the air two through the ground it was the ground ones that were backbreakers, which is insane and then just like the fact that he you know, we talked about the offense was how they were going to win this game. And obviously, the defense was stifling. But as soon as TCU scored, Georgia just chilled, just methodically drove down the field. Yep. This is this is a very multidimensional Georgia team in a way that the haters have not appreciated. And for that reason, I feel bad for them. No, I do, I
0: do too. I mean, the, the poise that he continued to show in those moments. And when he's out there doing, you know, the MJ shrug and... <laughs> And and he's having fun like that. I mean, just, just forget about it. He he's just so calm. Like it, it is cliche to talk about because of how well documented it is that he has just developed a, a hunger for these moments. But you just can't teach that stuff, and mm-hmm. it's it's not something that's going to guarantee he's going to have long-term success in the NFL. I would absolutely think that he's worthy of being a day three guy, considering all the question marks we're going to have about so many different guys in the first couple of rounds of the NFL draft. But I don't really care. I, I don't care. That, that conversation right. can be had another time. It, it can But I just think that what he has done here in these big moments should be celebrated forever. We we should be we'll be talking about Stetson Bennett for for decades, and not just because the Disney Plus movie is inevitably going to be a hit. <laughs> Hopefully, it's better than that Clemson movie. I'm just saying, somebody get the rights that has a little bit more uh, of an understanding of kind of the the hatred that Stetson was up against, and maybe it shouldn't be a Disney movie because then we can't include the stuff about all oh, the pappy he drank last year. <laughs>
1: And that's that Quavius will not make an appearance <laughs> in the Disney movie. We gotta have an HBO, like a documentary, I feel is the best way yeah. to do this. Yeah, yeah. The
0: doc, Let's let's get the documentary. We we need to be able to have and, and you know, if you if you do the SEC network thing, you know, probably can't include all that stuff as well, gotta be a little bit more buttoned up, but mm-hmm. yeah, the unfiltered, unscripted story of Stetson Bennett. Somebody will try and get the movie rights because this is unbelievable. And for those mm-hmm. who are sick of it, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to deal with the fact that something unbelievable happened and he he is a legend he is and it's a weird thought after that game and knowing the aforementioned four offensive MVP awards in college football playoff games. And oh, by the way, the only game that he didn't have three touchdown passes in a playoff game was when he pulled off a fourth quarter comeback against Alabama to beat Nick Saban and give Georgia its first national championship since 1980. And he was perfect in the fourth quarter. So,
1: so easy things, things that we've all done in our daily life. that's, of course. A, that's just a, Wow. Step it up, Stetson.
0: Yeah. It's weird, though, to think he won't be eligible for the College Football Hall of Fame. Because he was never an All-American. He had to be a first-team All-American. That's the first rule that the National Football Foundation has for eligibility for the College Football Hall of Fame.
1: Ah. All right, boys, we're picketing the College Football Hall of Fame. First thing we're going to do, we're going to get Mike Leach in because he's not eligible. And second, we're getting Stetson admitted because you simply cannot tell the story of college football without either of those lads. And the fact that they just arbitrarily make this stuff up is stupid. Yeah, and and
0: I get it to to a certain extent because... The the process becomes so subjective, it really does. If you mm-hmm. if you don't have some sort of parameters in place, OG listeners of this podcast will know. I, I'm kind of big on parameters to be able to narrow some things down. Otherwise, your mm-hmm. mind can wander when you're doing these rankings and you're trying to quantify sure. certain things. So I get it to a certain extent, but why can't we just add in there the the caveat like they need to be a first team all American by you know publication X Y or Z or If a player makes it to New York as a Heisman Trophy finalist, that should be that should be able to cover it. Right. Because I get why that rule is in place. I do. But if you also add in that parameter, that kind of takes care of it. And you don't necessarily have to wipe out the existing one of not Mm -hmm. a lot because there are a lot of guys who are never going to make college football Hall of Fame who and there's there's a lot more guys than people realize, actually, because mm-hmm. of that very caveat. And we think, oh, you can't tell the story of college football without this guy or without this guy. And, you know, even Drew Brees is one. I, my guy, Kyle Charters, brought that up. Like Drew Brees is mm-hmm. never eligible for the College Football Hall of Fame because he wasn't a first team All-American. When in reality, that kind of sucks, because if you play a position where, <laughs> look, was was Stetson Bennett the number one quarterback in college football during these last two seasons? No he he wasn't, but mm-hmm. at the same time, that also doesn't consider in a lot of the postseason stuff like you don't even factor in all America stuff into like you you factor all that in once the regular season's over. So right. it takes there's no postseason right. thing with that. There might mm-hmm. be a few awards that are specifically, but all that stuff is decided before then. So what that we're taking out a very important part of the equation. So, I might have to see what the National Football Foundation, uh, if there's any sort of wiggle room about this, because dude deserves it. I mean, he absolutely does. Keeping that guy out of the College Football Hall of Fame, like, come on. Meanwhile, Gino Toretta build, can be in
1: there. They're just going to build a new wing of the College Football Hall that's just dedicated to the postseason after we expand. And then there are just going to be statues of Stetson Bennett and Hunter Renfro. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know what? These guys, somehow, these big games were just electric. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't get it, man. But that's that's the crazy thing. It's like, yeah, Heisman invites are obviously more coveted, harder to get to than all Americans. But as a quarterback, to your point, it's like it's so narrative based. So yeah, I think that should be a caveat because if you're if you are, you know, whatever you say about the Heisman, you're obviously Heisman voter and and, and Heis like the Heisman is the MVP of college football. And if you've gotten a real like top four recognition in the Heisman, you gotta be eligible. But anyway. Yeah, I, I think we I think we
0: could just throw that in there. I, I absolutely do. And mm-hmm. would have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, but yeah, there's gonna be Probably a lot of red tape to be able to to work through to make something like that happen. But I would not be surprised if the Georgia people are already beginning kind of that process once the dust settles on this. Mm-hmm. Once the dust settles on this championship, I'm not sure how many people are going to ask this question. But I'm going to ask this because Josh Pate brought it up the other day. And I, I gave the response that I think Georgia fans would be giving as well. Is Stetson the best player in Georgia history? Hmm. And look, Aaron Murray asked that same thing. He's tweeting that out in the middle of that game. I, you know, my natural response, and even though I wasn't even alive to see him play football, but obviously I've done my due diligence on Herschel. I've read all the stories. I've watched all the videos. I've, I've, you know, I watched Bill Bates get run over a million times. Mm-hmm. My natural response is always going to be Herschel, of course. Right. But with how unbelievable Stetson was in these defining moments that conversation is at least worth having, right? It's okay. not a definitive, absolutely not. If it's absolutely not, what's your what's your first line of defense, right? what's what's your absolute first line of defense? Probably that Stetson had more talent around him. Obviously, Herschel was seeing all these eight-man boxes. Mm-hmm. They play different positions. It's so hard to quantify, too, when we're talking about very different eras of the sport and all of those different things. But like when you repeat, you move yourself into that conversation. You just do, no matter where you play. That's just so hard to do. So hard to do. I don't have a definitive I mean- answer right now.
1: The chaotic thing is, dude. That if let's say we give that to him for a year, Brock Bowers could overtake that next year <laughs> with another like Mackie award, another playoff appearance, another like hundred fifty. It's like, yo, this dude might be like college football's leading postseason receiver if he puts a couple more of these together. The opposition is he wasn't even the the
0: second best offensive player on his own team, and or he wasn't even the the second best player overall because Jalen Carter and Brock Bowers were better. It's like, yeah, but it's it's also different playing quarterback and doing the things that that Stetson did, and yeah shout out Kenny Mcintosh man. That guy, I, I needed to talk about him more during the year. H- he was so fun to watch. and I, I I think that guy was 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 a very underappreciated player on this team. but nonetheless, Stetson's a legend. And there's nothing that anybody can say that would change my opinion of that. He is a college football legend. And we will be talking about this guy for such a long time, not just because, oh, by the way, he was a former walk-on, just in case you haven't heard, not just because, oh, he was the scout team quarterback for Baker Mayfield and he came back to Georgia, but what he looked like in these games, in these season on the line, legacy on the line, all the angst, decades in the making, these games, he balled. And he was incredible and it was fun. And I feel guilty not giving him more flowers earlier in the season. But I I, I remember thinking this time last year, you know, I kind of hope Sesson just fades off into the sunset and, and he just goes out on this because there's no way, there's no way mm-hmm. that it could possibly be as good as what he did to end the 1980 jokes. And then it was, and then it was, and he got better. And that, that mm-hmm. to me, that That is just the ultimate bet on yourself type play. And he did what so many people, myself included, thought was impossible. And he should forever be remembered in college football lore for that.
1: Yeah, he is just the, you know, the smack talk backer upper. I don't know a better name, but the cursed defeater. Because if you think about it, it's like, you know, Georgia, Georgia, Kirby can't beat Saban. Okay, boom, beat Saban in a national title game. Oh, well, yeah, you guys won't do it again, though. Boom, 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 boom. And to your point, like repeating period is the hardest thing in the world. So it's like, you know, is this team better than last year's team? I mean, it it honestly is more impressive if they're not. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, you lose all those guys to the draft, you come back with more focus, maybe a little bit less talent, but those leaders on the team have matured. Those underclassmen are now upperclassmen. Stetson is in year 12. He's ready to go, but no, like point being, and I was, I'll still make those jokes. Those jokes are funny, but that's the thing I said in the last, it's an asset. It's not, it's reality. It's the fact that he is the captain of the ship and it's not like you're bringing in some freshmen, some dude who's never been there. It's like, He's the glue. He's the one that kept this team together after they lost all that defensive leadership. He truly became the leader of this team. And they slowly throughout the year turned into an offensive team. And I think we saw glimpses of it during like the Mizzou and Kent State game that this team couldn't win the way that last year's team could. And they realized that pretty quickly. They they relied on Todd Munkin. But it wasn't obviously Bowers is amazing, but it wasn't like the, um, you know, the one player show. I talked to Georgia fans like at the SC championship game and they said, without a doubt, I was talking about the Heisman. I was like, you know who you guys, that was before like Stetson got invited and everything. And they were like, Oh, we don't care about awards. And like, this is the ultimate, like, we don't care about awards. Like, Early Nick Saban's vibe team, where it's just like, no, whoever's opens getting the ball. Don't care who it is. Don't care if it's our third string tight end. Don't care if it's whoever. So yeah, I think I think this is kind of. <laughs> I hate to just be blowing smoke, like you guys know I'm not a Georgia homer by any means, but it's like this is if you wanted to share somebody how to win football games, this is like the DVD I would show. And then I guess the question looking forward is like. What do you do now? <laughs> because that's that for Georgia fans, like not to say it's the greatest team in college football, like not not even putting, not even having that conversation, but for what Georgia fans want, Stetson Bennett literally gave them everything. It was like everything. Everything. Yeah.
0: And there's no guarantee that this quarterback battle, which will have plenty of time this offseason to dissect oh, Carson Beck, Brock Vandegrift, Gunner Stockton, I I think even if Kirby were to surprise I I don't think he will but uh, even if he were to add a portal guy, I don't think anybody should be stunned at this point there's just no guarantee that with all that blue chip talent that that is waiting in the wings that is chomping at the bit for the opportunity to be the quarterback for what should be the preseason number one team there's no guarantee that that the one of those guys is going to have all the intangibles that Se in had it's just not a given. we've seen this time and time again it is so difficult to replace the legend. And that is what someone is going to be asked to do. And yeah, they'll have multiple years in this system. Love all the different weapons that they're going to have coming back because my goodness gracious man, like the amount of the amount of pass catchers that, that their new starting quarterback is going to have to work with. In addition to Bowers, you get McConkie back. You get hopefully a healthy full season of A.D. Mitchell who just casually mm. scored a touchdown in his fourth playoff game. Think about that. I mean, that's that's wild. Oh, you got two really solid SEC receivers coming in, Dominic Lovett, Rara Thomas. Oh, you're going to have probably a million different guys who are younger and an Arian Smith who's you know, chomping at the bit to get more playing time. Like you've got so many of these weapons to be able to work with, but there's just no guarantee that it looks the way that it did with Stetson, who mm-hmm. took, took over Aaron Murray's all-time single-season passing record at Georgia, first 4,000-yard passer in Georgia history. Yeah, you got to play 15 games, but still, his legacy is safe. There's nothing at this point that will take away from that legacy. I don't care about the NFL stuff. I just don't. Um, Mm -hmm. Okay. The Kirby part of this, Kirby's legacy. I am old enough to remember asking you on these airwaves, hey, do we think that Georgia is going to have consecutive top 10 defenses? That was the question I asked because he hadn't done that yet at Georgia. And uh, yeah, it's safe to say that he he was capable of doing that after two consecutive rough showings, I thought, from his defense. I, you know, you saw it, Max Duggan, he looked lost all night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, you know, a group that. Had a lot to figure out, I I think, during these nine days or whatever, to figure out those passing game miscues that they were having. And I give Glenn Schumann, Will Muschamp, a lot of credit for that game plan Mm -hmm. to hold TCU to 188 total yards. Again, the 60 that came on that, that one play early. And it was... It wasn't just the household names in that group. It wasn't just Jalen Carter and Keely Ringo. Keely Ringo, the job that he did on Quentin Johnson, by the way, he took him out of that game, big time money game for the Georgia corner. Those guys are off to the NFL. Uh, but it was Dumas Johnson. It was Christopher Smith, who I, I needed to talk more about Christopher Smith and how important he's been for that Georgia defense the last few years. Michael Williams had the big t- big time coverage sack early. Like this, this group was dominant when it needed to be on this stage when i think their legacy would have looked a lot different had this been the 41 35 game that we were talking about this group will finish as a top four group i want to say scoring wise i haven't checked those numbers i think they were fifth coming into this game but man they were ready and even though this defense wasn't as good as last year's who cares who cares who cares They were good enough to win a national championship, and that's always the question that we ask is, do you have a unit that is good enough to win on this stage? And this group, absolutely, it crossed whatever sort of threshold that was, and they were ready to go, man. That defense, as much as we're going to talk about this, like we've talked about the 65 points, like. That defense was nasty in Adrian the moment. Was a he, unit
1: who was good enough to win a national title. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: that's that's never really going to be be in doubt. I, I think moving forward to, to to get to fifteen and zero after losing fifteen players to the NFL draft, it's the most impressive playoff era feat. And maybe maybe with the exception of twenty eighteen Clemson destroying Bama in the title game and doing so with a true freshman quarterback. But mm-hmm. I, I would still probably give Georgia the edge there because only two teams stayed within single digits of Georgia all year. Shout out to Mizzou and Ohio State, obviously. But Kirby's just a machine. Two titles mm-hmm. at the age of forty-seven. Obviously, it took Saban until age fifty-seven to get there. They did the side by side afterwards of Kirby versus Saban seven years into the you know their ten years at their respective programs. Kirby's got the slightly better win percentage at 844 compared to like 805 or I can't remember what it was for Saban, but Mm -hmm. obviously Saban's got the extra ring. So it's wild though. It's just wild to think that in seven years at Georgia, he got the program to three national title games and he won two rings because well, we're old enough to remember when it was, is Kirby really better than Mark Rick? Is he just Mark Rick Mm 2.0? (laughs) Mm-hmm. Forget about that. I mean, kiss that narrative long goodbye. Now you've got people arguing that he's the second best coach of the 21st century. And I said beforehand that I'd still have to put Urban at two because he won three national titles. He did so at two mm-hmm. different places. But think about this. Kirby's been to as many national championships as Urban. Three. Mm-hmm. Both been to Dad, three. he just kind of had to
1: play Bamba and lost to the last second. Like if he had three, this would right. be... Because that's the crazy thing about his legacy. Because you're absolutely right. It's one of those where it's like, you know, uh, it's our job, you know, to tell the story of this. And you know, when I have kids, when you have kids, and I know you're looking forward to that. It's like a good example is LeBron, right? Early in LeBron's career, he was like this loser. Like it was like this guy can't win the finals, and then he wins his first title. And even MJ winning, same thing. Right? Yeah. No, yeah, no. MJ is an even better example. MJ is an even better example because you remember that a little bit better than me. And there were all these haters who were just like, he's never gonna win. He's never gonna win for probably about half or a little bit over that of his career. And then it was just. Win, 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 win. And then, you know, my generation growing up just knew him as a winner. And like, that's the part of of Kirby's story that's going to be so interesting when we tell the story of it's like, dude, there were four or five years here where like Florida fans were like, hey, Mullen might be better than him. And then you look at it now and it's like, yep, this is kind of how this was always going to go. You know, maybe it took him, you know, maybe it could have taken him a little bit longer to get here with the two titles. You know, he won a back-to-back. He got he got a little bit, you know, a little bit aggressive, as he would say, with those title wins. But, yeah, now you look back at it, It's instead of, oh, you got there and you blew it again, it's, dude, you got three appearances. Like, you're
0: in rare, rare air just off that alone. Think about that, too. Since that 2020 Florida game that Georgia lost to Florida and Mm – I'd love to go back and look at some of those headlines because it'd be very interesting to see the Mullen versus Kirby conversation. Oh, Mullen has caught up to Kirby. And then since then, Kirby's won 33 of 34 games. Yeah, Jeez. that's that's bananas. It, it, I mean... The conversation is is obviously not Kirby versus Mullen. It's Kirby versus Dabo. I mean, that's that's the real like resume side by side that's fascinating because obviously Kirby hasn't been to as many national championships as Dabo. Dabo's been to four along with Mm -hmm. six playoff berths that he has compared to. But you know what Kirby
1: did? He beat Tennessee. So we gotta remember that. (laughs) (laughs) We gotta remember that he beat Tennessee with Hinton Hooker. So honestly, Utah beat. Yeah, um, it's clearly Kirby's uh,
0: 2022 team was just a little bit better than Dabo's 2022 team. I think we Mm -hmm. can say that definitively, but I would even I'm not going to do like the side by side of the playoff works because I don't think that getting to the playoff is is as hard from the ACC as it is for the SEC. I just don't like we've (laughs) so much data now that shows this, but I would give Dabo the tiniest, tiniest of advantages on Kirby just because of how much that 2018 Clemson team dominated an undefeated Bama team in that title game. I'd say that's a very very slight edge but it's it's razor thin. It's razor thin and after that mm-hmm. game we're saying Dabo is Dabo has taken taken over as the best coach in college football. He's won Mm -hmm. two titles in the last three years. He's been to a national championship in three of the last four years. He beat Saban twice during that stretch and beat Bama twice at kind of the peak of its powers. And I'm not trying to take away from Georgia. Is that probably going to change next year? Would I bet on Kirby definitively moving ahead of Dabo in terms of 21st century coaches? Yes, I would. I'm trying to live in right now and not necessarily do the projecting thing with that argument. But is Kirby going to pass Dabo? Yeah. And is he probably going to be at number two on this list next year? I think Mm -hmm. if he goes to another playoff, yes, I would put that. I I would absolutely give him that spot. And and we're not saying, by the way, who's the best coach in college football right now. That's a separate argument. Kirby's number one. I I would give Kirby that definitively. I, I really would because I just think repeating is insane. I think 15-0 and 0 is insane. It, like, I, I While I don't think that this was the best team of the 21st century just in terms of dominance, I do the, think it might have been the most versatile in terms of yeah. all the ways that they can beat you. And I, I just think it's a historic feat. I really do, which is different than saying that this is the best team ever or something like that. And we don't have to do that every time a team wins a title. We, we don't. We sure and, don't, man we we don't have to do the 2019 LSU conversation that probably led first take that probably led get up or something like that. We don't have to do that. We 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 mm-hmm. just don't. I personally would love to see 2018 Clemson against 2022 Georgia. I think that mm-hmm. would be fascinating. I, we also forget too with that Clemson team that they beat everybody by at least 20 points once Trevor Lawrence became the starter, which mm-hmm. was post September, Kelly Bryant hits the portal, including a 14 and Alabama team. But that would be an awesome game. I would love to see that. I still don't think that I would put Georgia among the top three teams of the
1: 21st century. But who cares? Who cares? So hold on. Do you care about this though? Would you neutral field take them over last year's Georgia team? Hmm. No, I think that
0: I think last year's Georgia team would have would have put up a better fight. It's difficult because I think offensively they improved. They took mm-hmm. so such significant strides. I mean to be. They're going to end up being like 50, like, no, it's more than that. It's, I think it's like three touchdowns per game better against AP top 25 competition than last year's group. That's just the offense, which is insane. Yep. I still think last year's defense though, that's, that's to, that to me is just the, 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 the thing that's so difficult, to try and say that anybody would move the the, the ball consistently against them. And I realized that Bama was able to do that in the SEC championship, but mm-hmm. I think that would be the biggest strength in that football game. Do I think it would be competitive? How would Stetson be all-time quarterback? I don't know, <laughs> but it would be great. It would be two Stetson minutes like NBA 2K.
1: They could beat you. This team could beat you in more ways, but last year's team was more dominant. About that? That per, yeah, I think that's the correct, the, the correct take where it's like there are some games that might catch up and scare like like jump on 2020 2021 Georgia yeah. the offense here and that's the thing dude like if this team had their kind of reckoning earlier the Mizzou and Kent State games would not have been close because they would have just been like hey here's what we're doing Um, I do want to say this too though I was you heard me typing because I was trying to find the exact quote because I don't want to slander imp, you know you got to c- quote correctly Whenever David Pollock looked at Nick Saban and said Georgia has taken over college football, it's one of the funniest and coldest things I've ever seen. That was a class in hatering from a dude in David Pollock who is so wholesome. I want to give him stuff because what he's had some he's had some bars. He's gone back and forth with you. But when he picks his spots, looking at Nick Saban's face, knowing that like during the commercial break, he just wanted to go call all of his assistants. he be like, go to the transfer portal, sort by price. We're getting the top five. I'm sick of these people. But yeah, like I I feel like we saw the new. I feel like we saw the new villains crowned in college football as a neutral fan. And as much as I love Georgia and just as as a, as a whatever fan, I think that you look at this team and they remind you of the first time I saw early Bama, the way they're beating teams down and demoralizing them. And luckily, you know, as an LSU fan, I can say, you know, I can lie to myself and say, we have 80, 85% of this talent. Maybe if we get lucky, maybe if we get them at home, maybe if we do all this different stuff, maybe we could beat them. But if you're sitting here and you're a fan of any team, but about five or six teams, This team is horrifying, and you need them to make mistakes like they did last year against Bama. You need them to not trust themselves the way they did in years past. Whenever they don't, when they play mistake-free football, when they trust themselves, so that's my big thing. Maybe Kirby isn't the number one coach, but they are now the standard. Like This whole time about the hunted, this whole time about catching Bama, in less than a calendar year, they have, well, I guess about a calendar year, because when I beat Bama, it was about this time, so exactly a calendar year. They took over the title of, guys, I don't want to see.
0: Yeah. You can say that Georgia is the new standard while also saying that Bama is probably not going anywhere. Right. Those two things can be true at the same time. Mm -hmm. Nobody during this Bama decade of dominance, whatever you want to call it, has repeated before. And Mm -hmm. it's different when you repeat. And when you repeat with all the factors and all the production lost, yes. How, How could you not say Georgia is the new premier program in college football? Now- what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to assume that Kirby is about to rattle off a 15-year run equivalent to what Saban did from 2008 to 2022. And that's not even to say that it's it's over. I'm not by any stretch saying like at Bama could win a national championship next year. We could be like, all "All right, right." see, this is why we don't dismiss Saban. But I don't think it's fair to assume that Kirby is automatically going to have some 15-year run like that because so many other factors can get involved. And there's a reason why this stuff never happens. And even for the great coaches of the 21st century and urban adabo a pete carroll we've seen things come in the way of that and and we've seen why great coaches are so hard to to be able like it it is so hard for these great coaches to do it for more than a decade and why spurrier wanted out at florida after you know after being there for what 11 years and you know you just kind of decide well enough is enough to a certain extent and maybe kirby will get to that point but it's the closest thing that we've seen, obviously, to anybody approaching what Bama did. And Clemson certainly flirted with that. But from a talent acquisition standpoint, they were never on Georgia's level. They they, they weren't. And that's we thought that they were going to continue to elevate that. And when they were finally looking like they were getting to that point,
1: Dabo refused to adapt. Wait, say or it again. Looking. The portal opened. That's what happened. They yeah. they were right there. The portal opened. And then they just meteorically fell. And they needed to use the portal to get back up there. And they were like, no, not doing it. All right. Enjoy yeah. losing to Tennessee.
0: Anyway. We're talking about whether Georgia could be the first team to, re- to three-peat since
1: Minnesota. When will? I'm going to guess that was the 50s or 60s.
0: Oh, boy. Was it not? FDR administration, 1934, 1935, 1936, the mid 30s were. Of course, I knew it was ancient
1: because those Gophers teams now, you know, they played some physical football.
0: Single wing. That's the Mm offense they ran back in the day. Only loss during that three year stretch was a six to nothing barn burner against Northwestern, in which they got where they had like an unnecessary roughness penalty where Northwestern got the ball on the one yard line and then they punched it in and then won the game six to nothing. But
1: nonetheless. The grass was up to their freaking belts. To that day. <laughs> Playing corn,
0: just straight up cornfield.
1: cornfield. Just, <laughs> there were ears of corn everywhere they were sifting through. The players
0: were actually farmers. So during, you know, during the off season, they would have to come and plow the field and be able to take care of that to be able to make their money. Um, yeah, look, that's the accomplishment that everybody's going to ask. Can Georgia do it? Can Georgia do it? Because the teams that have not been able to, of course, those mid-90s Nebraska teams, Alabama team – that you know ran into the kick six of course and then you know USC the way that they weren't able to threepeat was Vince Young and those you know those two times that a team has attempted it in the 21st century it's been halted by these historic iconic moments in college football and i think we all look at that Georgia schedule which is as favorable as it's ever been and we say well just pencil in 12 and 0 right now get to the SEC championship and kind of roll the ball out and see what happens from there but it's just
1: amazing. Hopefully they're getting he's... a respectable dogfight with LSU. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> all so we could hope for boys. Yeah. <laughs> Keep it close. Yeah. My my, how things
0: have changed in, in 13 months from going from saying, will Kirby ever win one to now? It's, um, yeah, they can probably at least be in good position to do something that we haven't seen in college football since teams stopped facing hardware stores. <laughs> like <laughs> that's actual that's water makers. Uh, yeah, it's insane. Um, one last last thing before we do some way too early top ten. SEC. If you're anti SEC at this point, you're a hater. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I, I don't. Um I don't know if if you can expect any system to change that. Sixty four team NCAA tournament style tournament wouldn't change that. Um it's not changing when the playoff expands. Thirteen titles in a seventeen-year stretch. Fourth consecutive title won by an SEC program. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you what do you do at, at, at this point? Because I I have plenty
1: on my timeline. I got plenty. Move it to the Rose Bowl. They won't be in the Rose Bowl. Connor. As as Chris Brown. How far said. away is the Rose Bowl from SoFi? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point. They basically <laughs> did with the Rose Bowl. That's a really good point. But like. It's just a, so far unfortunately. Other than the tailgating, it's still a way better stay in the Rose Bowl. I hate to say it, but we're pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's the thing, bro. Yeah, if you're if you're hating the SEC at this point, as, as Chris Brown said, you know I'll see you can hate from outside the club. You can't even get in. Yeah, it's tough. That's tough.
0: What do Texas and Oklahoma think watching that? They're like, oh, we've watched TCU this year. This is what we're joining. This is what <laughs> we got to deal with. Yikes. Good luck with that. Okay, uh, like I said, wait to really top ten. We're gonna do that in a sec. Before we do that, quick word from our friends at Underdog. As you guys know, sports betting, not legal in states like Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, etc. Most of the SEC states Sports betting not legal yet. I want to talk to you about Underdog Fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past. Underdog's is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. They have some awesome contests across all sports where you can compete for real money. It's a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. Exclusive agreement we have right now: Saturday Down South with Underdog. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com/slash/Underdog. You can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in fifty bucks, they'll throw in fifty more dollars. Great way to get some money to play on these contests. If you want to be able to just sit on your couch during, you know, college football or not college football but the nfl wild card weekend or something like that you want to say oh hey you know look at these over-unders i think that josh allen is going to throw for less than 275 passing yards that's it. That's all you got to do. You pick over, you pick under, it's just like we talk about with all of our preview pods that we do, very similar to the the sports betting player props. And like I said, you can put real money on the line. This is legal and live in all these states in which sports betting is not legal yet. You can do this in Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, et cetera. So like I said, Underdog, awesome, super fun to do while you're watching any sport in your living room and you can win real money. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com Underdog. Take advantage of our promo where Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. $100, absolutely free saturdaydownsouth.com slash underdog all right well way too early top 10 love it, it. totally not going to be wrong let's start with number 10 nah screw it let's start with number one uh there's no debate Georgia's number one Bama's number two mm-hmm. michigan three ohio state four florida state ultimate good vibes team in college football was five
1: Honestly, yeah, I think we need to start talking. We, how do you talk to your children about Florida State? <laughs> because future, they're coming, unfortunately. They're, they're, they are they're, might be a problem.
0: My future child, will, she will have a very different understanding of the Florida State that we've experienced for the last uh, four or five years post-Jimbo, uh, yeah. the do-something era that we will call it Florida State football. Real ones, no. Um, mm-hmm. Six, I have LSU. Seven, Penn State. Eight, my beloved Utah Utes, return a certain Cam Rising. Mm Keithy's coming back as well, feeling the Utes, feeling the mojo Mm -hmm. a little bit once again. Uh, Nine, Notre Dame, just got Sam Hartman. And then 10, Tennessee. Yes. Mm -hmm. So in that top 10, Will, I don't have Clemson. I don't have USC. I don't have Texas. I don't even have Bo Nix's Oregon Ducks. I'm going to get some flack for that probably, but I don't really care because – I kind of look at the USC thing and I'm like, how many how many more times do we need to see Lincoln Riley with a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback to think that his team is on that elite tier when it's just not? They yep. recruit more defensive talent. They're also losing a lot of offensive talent. They're bringing in some pieces. I'm excited for the Marshawn Lloyd edition, but still, I kind of look at that situation. I'm like, well, why why are we so gung-ho about mm-hmm. USC and Lincoln Riley's teams no matter what when they continue to just flop on this this national stage? And then same thing with Clemson, like, we're assuming Kate Klubnick is automatically going to turn Clemson into this playoff caliber team who you know gets to a national championship. Um, I'm I, I need to see it before I can believe it. With how bad Clemson looked against some of these elite teams, and then the Michigan Ohio State thing, I can't put Michigan and Ohio State ahead of Bama.
1: Are they haven't put Ohio State over Michigan because we don't even know who Michigan's coach is going to be. That's next fair. Year.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I thought about that, but I'm like, God, we just seen we just watched Michigan beat the crap out of Ohio State these last two
1: years. It's a little bit That's all they did. (laughs) I know, right? I mean, that is in fact their Super Bowl. We have learned he won that game. He's been a dip. He did it. He <laughs> Mission accomplished. If you're, but
0: it, so, like, if your question is, who do you put at, at three and four if you don't want to have Michigan and Ohio State there? I can poke holes in, in everybody, right? Everybody there. And to me, that's why I had Bama at two, despite the fact that they lose Bryce Young, they lose Will Anderson, lose a lot of key players from that team, a certain Jameer Gibbs as well. But It's Bama's floor is just still so unbelievably high. They've earned that ranking by by default. And because Mm -hmm. of how successful they've been against teams like that, including a Michigan and Ohio State who look, neither one of those teams have gotten on that stage and beaten a Georgia or an Alabama since 2014 so why am I going to do it's just like what I was talking about with Oklahoma a few years ago it's like I can't put Oklahoma as preseason number two when Oklahoma (laughs) is yet to even show me in a college ball playoff game that they can get over the hump and do those things in the top four really yeah yeah so I I couldn't get there and that's that's why I'm a little bit more down on uh, on teams like that that just haven't shown on the playoff stage that they can do that Ohio State obviously put together the second most impressive playoff showing probably uh that we saw but yeah that's the top 10 what do we think about that
1: I love Penn State, Utah, and Notre Dame in a row because those are teams that will start there and might finish there, but won't stay there. (laughs) Right, right. It's like, yeah, that actually might look good at the end of the year, but they're going to go on a wild ride to end up. Because like, yeah, I think like all of those teams kind of finished like right about there, but there are points for all of them that you're just like, buddy, what are you doing here? Let's have a talk.
0: Yeah, putting a team that lost to Marshall in the preseason top 10. We respect Charles Huff on this podcast. We do. But nonetheless, that's still like Notre Dame with Sam Hartman. Like you pair a Sam Hartman mm-hmm. offense with potentially a Marcus Freeman defense. And
1: that's, well, that's beat South really- Carolina with a backup quarterback after South Carolina done all that. So that honestly, as much as I hate to credit Notre Dame without Brian Kelly, was their biggest win in a minute because usually they lose that game, especially with the pick six at the end. That's like uh, typical Notre Dame. So I actually will give them, unfortunately, a little bit of credit.
0: And I'll give TCU, uh, not TCU. Um, T- I have TCU at like 16th. I want to oh, say. Oh gosh, I was about to say where's TCU. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they lose and They lose a lot of key pieces, so it's it's tough to kind of def- just blindly put them in that top 10. And yeah. I, I definitely considered it, but I think they're they have a lot to be able to replace. They have some big time portal additions, but still year over year. This this season, I, I, I tend to give the benefit of the doubt to teams that have been there a bit more consistently. Mm-hmm. And I realize that sounds hypocritical because of what I'm saying by putting Tennessee in the top 10. But I still think that what Tennessee did on this stage in the SEC to get to 11 wins and what they're probably going to still be returning from a skill position standpoint, I still think that their floor has been significantly elevated. And maybe I have a little bit too much recency bias and I'm not fully changing my tune on
1: Joe Milton but that was darn impressive. And I do oh, have boy, to kind of I'm give gonna it be changing my tune. Joe Bell, and I'm going to be a Bazooka Joe stand this offseason. Well, and if it doesn't work out, I'll just pretend I wasn't because that dude is fun. But well, yeah, like, yeah, point being, I mean, honestly, hey, Tennessee fans have a great offseason because you know what was better than the TCU beatdown now? The Tennessee beatdown. <laughs> They can look and be like, "Look, this is at home. They played the, they played us at Athens. I don't know. Like we could have been seventy if we maybe we're the second, the third best team with a healthy quarterback. I don't know what to tell you."
0: Right? Yeah. Uh, there, are, there are a lot of teams that that probably uh, watched that game last night and they're like, "Oh, well, we did this, this, and this against Georgia." And you know, maybe, maybe we should try and stand good. up. <laughs> this yeah. is your moment to shine. Seriously, uh, Mizzou fans are watching that thinking, "Oh God, we're right there, guys. Like we're we're Come totally on, fine. We're going to hear why we're that extended
1: drink. Come on now.
0: Oh God, we're going to hear that narrative in the off season, aren't we?" Miss Mizzou played played Georgia so close, so tight. It's like, all right, well, what happened in those other six games that you lost? Um, yeah, we don't need They it. also
1: played Vandy tight. So really. Anyway.
0: Yes. All right. That's the way to early top 10. Thank you to everybody who has followed along this season. The plan for now, we're still going to be doing two pods a week. We're going to be mm-hmm. doing recording on Monday and Thursday is the plan. So we're going to we're gonna take a, a little, little brief break to kind of regroup here, maybe put a bow on some things that happened this past year, move it forward to 2023, and we will record next Monday. So I Pod will be dropping next Tuesday morning. But like I said, thank you to everybody who followed along. If you haven't, leave us a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast, join the Facebook group, Hear Your Name Red on Air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod on Twitter. Follow along. We're going to have a lot of different stuff going this offseason. It's going to be great. I know we're not supposed to say offseason because Josh Pate has ruled that out of the college football lexicon. But nonetheless, a different point of the college football calendar is approaching. And really appreciate everybody following along uh, throughout this entire regular and postseason. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.